everyone, my name is Jordi Mueller and welcome to the Empower Women series of the month of December. And uh, today we have Melinda Abbott. How are you doing, Melinda? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Good. And um, actually a little uh, intimidated by this topic today. I am not a tax expert, but today's um, event was focusing on our year-end tax planning. Uh, through the year, we tend to have so many different topics in the Empower Women series. And, and I have to tell you, we always get more feedback on this particular type of events because they have actionable items to go and do at home that will affect people's pockets. Yes. So, so we really appreciate your time today. Um, I actually wanted to start with a personal question to you, which is, do you enjoy year-end tax planning in general? I love it. Okay. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. It, it is, um, it's a real opportunity for us to help people. Yeah. And, and that's that's very gratifying. Cool, yeah. And it's um, honestly, it happens in my family as well, which is around October, November, usually Thanksgiving week, we started thinking about like closing books and like signing papers here and there. And then everybody's getting together for Christmas. And there's the awkward moment of like, oh, by the way, I need you to like check this and sign this. And like, did you return that? The paper went to the accountant or to the tax planner or to the state planner. So it happens in every family. Yes. Uh, but it's always last minute. Right. So I, I wanted to start with a segment of the population that we at Lexington Wealth do a little bit more often, uh, which is the small business owners or self-employed people. Uh, what, do, what should they start thinking about uh, as they approach year-end that you see most commonly being forgotten? Retirement planning. Oh, okay. Tell me a little bit about that. So, um, you know, as small business owners, we have an opportunity to participate in a retirement plan. And a lot of us um, owning a small business, you know, cash flow throughout the year can get tricky. And then towards the end of the year, we realize, uh oh, we're going to have a big tax bill. Yeah. So it is an opportunity to chat with your financial advisor um, as well as your accountant um, to see what is the most beneficial route you should take, whether it's a solo 401k, whether it's a 401k to be offered to your employees, whether it's a SEP um, yeah. or, or just an IRA. Uh, it's definitely a conversation. And when you're having a good year and your tax bracket is high, it's important to try to reduce that liability for taxes as best as possible. Yeah. And let's, let's maybe dig a little bit more into this particular topic. We, you're 100% right. This is a conversation we start usually and not the clients. Um, and there's a reason. They're focused on their business, they're focusing on growing, and they usually see a little bit of the moment of the payout as the big income without realizing that they are letting go tax deferred growth money all along the way. Uh, and it's based on contributions to usually their own personal 401ks or SEPs or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. And I'm assuming you see the same thing. Yes. And it is, it is difficult to see because um, unfortunately, we're all going to get there someday and yeah. uh, in retirement and, and we have to start to plan for it as early as possible so that we can continue that lifestyle. And, yeah. and it is, um, you know, it's critically important. So we try to push for it as much as we can hmm. um, as a top priority for our small business owners. Yeah. Um, 
I know 2017, there were a lot of changes when it came to tax and tax planning. Uh, we had actually a couple of episodes, which I will put on the links for this uh, podcast, that talk specifically about changes in the AMT, changes in gifting, changes in uh, standard deductions. Uh, but I guarantee you a lot of people are still struggling to understand some of the main changes specifically to AMT. Uh, do you mind explaining that a little bit more? So the change in AMT is, um, it's really that AMT was starting to to impact the middle class. Yeah. And that wasn't the original premise of the AMT. Yeah. Um, it was really to make sure that people in the higher tax brackets were paying taxes appropriately. Yeah, at a minimum. At a minimum. The name. Alternative minimum tax. Exactly. Yeah. And because typically when we start to grow our wealth, our income is translating from earned income to investment income or unearned income. And those rates are much lower yes. than the earned income rates. Mm -hmm. So the government steps in and says, okay, we need to be sure that everybody is paying their fair share. Yeah. And then it becomes, you know, you're in AMT. Yeah. And there used to be some AMT preferences. So, for example, you before um, real estate taxes was a deduction for regular income tax, but it is not for alternative minimum tax. So, therefore, your income is going up under the AMT calculation, and therefore your exposure is higher. But the AMT is also capped, right? Because it's a flat tax at 28%. Yeah. Um, if your income is higher, yeah. then you're going to go back into the tax tables. So we're starting to see that AMT is really, the, the effect was it is having less of an effect on most people. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, that, so that's interesting because that invo involves a conversation of, I'm assuming, uh, especially with the real estate example, how does my next two or three or four years looking in real estate investments, uh, or is this one of the years that this might apply to be utilized better in my tax uh, yeah, uh, planning? Yes. Yeah, so it would be real estate taxes that are deductible. So those would be on your primary residence. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. Is there something there for the second home? So the second home, yes. You know, you could deduct your real estate taxes on your second home, but the cap is 10 grand. Exactly. So most of us are, you Not know. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, well, take note of that for everybody listening, uh, especially if they've been filing IMT before. This is something to consider. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is some of kind of like the hidden benefits of some tax programs that the U.S. government has. Specifically, I want to talk about the HSAs or health savings accounts, um, which we, it depends a lot of the employer, uh, but sometimes if you're a self-employed or a, a small business owner, you do have control of this particular type of, uh, I don't want to say the word tax shelters, but it's definitely uh, a different way to approach taxes. Do you mind talking a little bit about HSAs? Sure. So HSA is another um, thing that we encourage our clients to reach out to their financial planners um, and talk to their, you know, insurance advisors um, if they're in the appropriate high deductible plan to be able to contribute to an HSA because um, the HSA, once it reaches a certain point, can be invested yeah. and the growth is tax free mm -hmm. and it can stay with you. Yeah. You know, and when we turn to those years that we're on a fixed income, um, we can use that, you know, tax 
yeah. advantaged money yeah. to um, pay for our medical expenses, yeah. um, which which is a nice way for people to take advantage of a tax deduction now in their high income earning years yeah. and be able to use that money in the future. Yeah. Um, unlike a traditional flexible spending account where it's typically use it or lose it. And those are employer sponsored um you know, typically yeah. from from W two wage earners in the HSA, we see more in small business owners. Yeah, and I would say now that we definitely are in a low tax environment, this is one of the things to consider to just pay tax and let this grow. Right. Because uh, hopefully, people that have more than ten years of working, they will see some growth in that money. Yes. Yeah. Um, I want to jump also. Uh, there's a lot of freelancers out there. A lot of people that are self-employed, and how do they deal in the new tax plan with their home office? Good question. So um, there is this notion out there that I don't want to take a home office because I'll I'll get audited. Yeah. Right. And and what I say is um if it, <laughs> it's not a myth, but I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna call it a myth, but it's very close to it. Um it is it, you know if you are indeed self employed or freelancing from any type of work at all. You are doing your work from somewhere. And if that is a home office that you use exclusively to run your business, mm -hmm. then you are entitled to the deduction. Um, and so the way the deduction works is um, it's a percentage of your overall home. So if your home office is 10% of your home, then theoretically you get to deduct 10% of all of the expenses associated with maintaining the home. The likes of which is insurance, um, your mortgage interest, real estate taxes, utilities, yeah. those sorts of things. Um, and you get to deduct that off, uh, you know, against your income, which can be quite powerful. The other thing is you get to depreciate that percentage of your home and that depreciation, um, you know, can add up and, and help the deduction to be increasing in years where you're in a high tax bracket. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the caveats to consider is that that depreciation in the event you sell the home in the future will be recaptured. Oh, can you explain a little bit that? Sure. Um, this can get a little <laughs> tricky. Yeah. Um, so but, let's say my home is 100000 Yeah. And, and you know, let's say over the course of your biz, your small business, you took $10,000 in depreciation. Yeah. So you received a tax benefit of that $10,000. Yeah. When you go to sell the home, um, the current rule is you get to exclude up to $500,000 of the gain but your home office depreciation is recaptured and you would pay the tax on that portion oh, I when see. you sell the home. Okay. So a lot of people hear that and get nervous. Yeah. The difficult thing is um, when we hear clients say, oh, you know, we never took depreciation on our home office. We were told that it wasn't worth it. Well, the rule for depreciation is allowed or allowable. So under audit, the IRS could come in and calculate that depreciation. I hate you with that. Yes. And even though um, you didn't receive a benefit for it, depreciation is one of those items that you can't amend for. Oh, so it just happens. Yeah. Interesting. So you lose it, and now you're paying taxes on something you never received a benefit for in the first place. Interesting. So it's something, you know, to be sure that when you do a home office that you do it correctly. Okay. Um, I want to switch topics just because it's December, and it's a little bit of the given uh, uh, season of the year. 
uh, everybody's thinking about charitable donations. Um, a lot of us and pretty much everybody uh, becomes to certain organizations, go to uh, donation uh, breakfasts, meetings, dinners. And this is something dear to my heart because planning charitable giving is becoming a, a, a better practice. That was not the case, right? We used to do a lot of reactive charitable giving. Um, there has been some changes since 2017 on how charitable donations affect your tax uh, filings. And most of them, as you, we were mentioning before we started recording, they don't affect like 95% of the people. Or and I'm and I'm definitely making that up. Like I don't. It's it's a high percentage of people don't get affected by the changes, but some do. So uh, do you mind explain a little bit of the changes if you know that that happened when it comes to charitable giving? So charitable giving, um, you you're allowed to deduct um, a percentage of your income. Yeah. Um, and I want to say that that changed to maybe. 65%. So if you're on a fixed income, there's a chance that if you donate a lot, that you're, you'd be limited to how many, how much you could take as a donation in the current year. But if you exceed that amount, that threshold, then those charitable donations will carry forward Mm -hmm. and you may get to take them in a future year. Um, the important thing for us to note for charitable giving is we like to encourage our clients who have built wealth to build this into their financial strategy um, because it it is important. Um, It's a way to give back and it is still a charitable, it's a a a deduction. So, um, you know, and there's strategies now where there's a lot of charitable funds and things like that. So people stress out, you know, I, I, I didn't donate because I I ran out of time and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And and so now you're able to say, you know, when you're budgeting, um, for your family and your finances that, you know, I'm going to give away $10,000 this year and I'm going to put it into a charitable fund. And, and then that becomes a deduction for you and you can really, take your time and choose wisely where you'd like to see that money go. Yeah, no, we're, uh, I would say, big uh, supporters of that. And obviously through donor advice funds, uh, which have become really popular in the last couple of years, um, especially with bunching techniques for people that do that they do have a year where they can give more and they don't know if the next few years they will, but they want to take the tax advantage right now, you can certainly do it right now through a donor advice fund yes. and then decide later on where they go. You do right. not have to choose today where that money goes. Yes. So so that is a great way to do it. Yeah, and we a lot certainly, of people, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming you see the same. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, don't wanna, I also want to talk about the other side of charitable gifting, which is gifting to the next generation. And that's actually a very common way of gifting. Um, do you mind explaining a little how that works? Sure. So um, gifting, it, 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 the deduction um, currently is $15,000 per person. Mm-hmm. So if you're a married couple, um, you each could give $15,000 each. Yeah. So $30,000 per person. And um, there's, there's lots of um, strategies out there for this, but one of the things is um, for, for estate purposes, we're trying to reduce um, the amount of our estate that becomes taxable. Yeah. Now, currently it's $11.4 million federally, but in Massachusetts it's a million dollars. So um, For a merit 
couple. For a married couple. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's um, there's a spousal exemption. So when the first spouse to... <laughs> you got excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> the first spouse to decease, um, the, the estate goes to the next spouse tax-free. And um, then upon the, the death of the, the remaining, the spouse that lives the longest, yeah. then you potentially have a taxable estate. So, you know, we have a lot of clients who are interested in gifting the money to their children while they're alive so they yeah. can see them enjoying it and they can benefit um, by, you know, watching their grandchildren um, get good education. Yes. And, you know, if there are health benefits um, or, or health issues, you know, you can contribute to that. One one thing to note that the gift of $15,000 a year does not include any money that you pay directly to an educational. I, I was going to say that if you're gifting for education, it's better to directly pay the institution. Yeah. Yes, Sorry. absolutely. I'll let you say the words. Yes. And then <laughs> medically, the same thing. If, yeah. if you know, if, if your, you know, grandchild or niece or nephew or somebody you know needs, you know, orthodontic care, yeah. um, you, if you write the check directly to the orthodontist, then yeah. that's that doesn't cover um, on the fifteen thousand, right? And then it also helps, yeah. um, you know, those of us near and dear to our hearts be able to make good decisions because they feel as though the yeah. money is being used wisely. Yeah, and this is again, is is tax free money to the recipient? Yes. Yeah, which yes. is amazing. Uh, yes, because this is. Probably when, when somebody gives to the next generation, you assume the next generation is younger by a certain amount of years, and that money will be growing tax-free if it's put in the right type of account and, and for many years. Yes. And, and you won't get hit when you need the money. Right. Yeah, no, and we definitely use this part of uh, our uh, estate planning. Yes. And uh, a lot of uh, generation, uh, I guess, planning happens around those areas of yeah. gifting. Um, I do wanted to close with, uh, in this particular podcast, we tend to, to ask the guests that come um, if they could think of one or two, and if you don't think of any, that's okay, but if, if they could think of one or two things that whoever is listening could start doing tomorrow to better prepare for taxes next year. And it could be anything. Sure. I say um, before the holidays are upon us, and, and I know we're not too far away. I know. Is, Please don't remind me. Yeah. I still need to prepare. <laughs> yeah. Is just to sit down, you know, with a pen and paper and just, you know, try to go through big points, you know, um, try to remember if there's anything, you know, if you had a, a large medical expense this year or, you know, you, um, you donated a, a lot of money yeah. or... Or, you know, you donated uh, more than $250, then you need to get a letter from that organization, yep. you know, supporting your donation. And so a lot of times we forget about these things and, um, yeah. you know, and, and typically our, our tax advisors won't ask us for that proof because they're not required to. Yeah. And then, you know, the unfortunate situation of an audit comes around and we don't have that information and yeah. now it's difficult to get. Yeah, so, you're liable for it, right? Yeah. Not that. yeah. So I say, you know, try to be as organized as possible and it doesn't have to be pretty you know just yeah. have an envelope um you know this time of year to you know near where you open the mail or you know one in your car yeah and as you know these important tax 
documents and things come in, just, you know, throw it in the envelope. So at least yeah. you know where it is. Um, and it, it becomes somewhat easier to organize when you're uh, trying to get the information over. Yeah, I'll throw one of myself there too, just along those lines. So uh, something different that I've done the last two years is uh, made all donations on the same card, the same credit card. And I know even if they ask for cash, no credit card. And then what I do is toward, yeah, I guess around in this next couple of weeks, I'll be looking through my credit card statements uh, for keywords and donations to make sure that they're there. And this, it's not that I make a lot of donations, but there's a lot of like 50, maybe $100 donations. You just lose track of them. Right. Absolutely. Um, That's a yeah. very good strategy. And nowadays, um, you know, a lot of us are using different ways yeah. to uh, transfer money. Yeah. And um, it's easier to, to keep track. Perfect. Uh, the only thing I caution is if there is a cash donation over 250 be sure. Be sure you keep yeah, that receipt. Yeah. Yeah, you awesome. need a letter from the organization. Um, so, no. <laughs> you know, one of the things that that's on that letter is that the organization is required to report whether you received any goods or services of value. So if you're at one of these silent auctions that or a dinner or something and, you know, you it costs you five hundred dollars, but the meal was one hundred dollars, your donation is really only four hundred. Yeah. Yes. That's a good point. Yeah. I need to think about that a little more. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. We You're really welcome. appreciate it. We already heard a lot of good feedback from the event. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Great. Thank you, Jordy. And um, for everybody else listening, this was the Empower Women series of December. And until next time, my name was Jordy. Have a great day. Bye.